Could it be that up in heaven God is sitting on his throne Anticipating another sinner Will soon become his own Years of wasted living And years of toil and strife Are just about to be over As he receives the gift of life Go sound the horn Strike up the choir A sinner is saved Saved from the fire No more in darkness He received my Son All heaven rejoices That's the value of one The Holy Spirit has been working to soften up a heart All he needs is a willing servant To simply do his part Can you imagine up in heaven The joy there'll be that day As a sinner bows his head to pray Can't you hear the Father say Go sound the horn Strike up the choir, a sinner is saved, saved from the fire, no more in darkness. He received my son, all heaven rejoices, that's the value of one. Start construction on his mansion. There on Hallelujah Street He doesn't know yet what is waiting When the Savior He will meet He'll meet Go sound the horn Strike up the choir A sinner is saved Saved from the fire No more in darkness He received my Son all heaven rejoices, that's the value of one. All heaven rejoices, that's the value of one. Well, amen. That's why we do what we do for that that one for that one you know sometimes if we're not careful we get caught up in the hole and i'm not opposed to seeing things that way but in the ministry if you look at the hole sometimes and you think man we need to get a group saved we need to get the whole city saved we need to get the whole country saved we need to get the whole world saved and you don't focus on what we can do right here where you're at that one you'll get discouraged if you're not careful there's no doubt we need to be focused and understand the, the scope of the mission. But we also have to be very careful that we don't become discouraged in the midst of it because we can't see, we, we're trying to look too far ahead. Well, I tell you what, every one of us can make an impact in someone's life, and we need to do that. The value of one. What a great song that is, and we certainly thank the Lord that He is concerned about the one, and that one being me, and in your case, you. Well, amen. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles today. Look over the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. 
We're going to begin in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 10. Chapter 20, 7 through 10. I, um, I don't know. We'll see how this goes today. I, I kind of had something ready to go, and I was kind of focusing on something. And then this morning when I arrived, uh, the Lord kind of changed my mind and uh, kind of said, I think maybe you just might want to do some encouraging today. And not that the other one wouldn't have been encouraging. I mean, the Word of God's encouraging to me, but uh, just uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about, uh, oh, you'll see here in just a moment. <clears throat> Number, uh, chapter 20, verse 7 through 10. Number, chapter 20, verse 7 through 10 is where we're going to begin reading. And the Bible simply says there, <clears throat> And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. Fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. <clears throat> I want you to look now, if you would, to chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. <clears throat> In our passage, of course, we are reminded of a very valuable piece of information. Very valuable. That simple piece of information, that simple truth that we are reminded of, <clears throat> can be expressed in two words. And those two words are these. We win. Amen. We win. We win. That's what we read here <clears throat> in this particular passage. We win. And someone says, well, who are the we? Well, we're talking about those that are in Christ Jesus, those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord, those that have received Him by faith and are placing their total dependence on Him, have been received into His family, been given an eternal home in heaven. We win. And boy, I like that. I mean, in the political and social climate in which we live, it is very easy to become discouraged and even depressed as a believer in Christ. As we look around us and we read the papers or we check out a blog or we, we note what's taking place overseas, we can truly find ourselves overwhelmed with negativity and critical, a critical spirit and a cloud that hovers over our head as a result of all the change that's come in these recent years. It would seem to me and maybe to you that evil is swallowing up good today and that right is being replaced with wrong in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 turn there if you would please 
Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. <clears throat> Go backward to the, about the middle of the Bible, and you'll find Isaiah somewhere right in there, tucked between a number of books. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. <clears throat> In this particular passage, the Lord referring to his people, he says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Uh, that's a woe of the Lord. He's saying, listen, you better listen up because I'm going to share some real important truth with you right now. He says, it's a bad deal to call evil good and good evil. Amen. It's a bad deal to put darkness for light and light for darkness. It's a bad deal to put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And he goes on to say, if you're one of those that do that or support that or embrace that, then I want you to understand that you uh, must be careful because you have become wise in your own eyes and prudent in your own sight. And the Bible tells us they were wise in their own eyes. Therefore, they became fools. The fact is today is that we have a number of people that seem to think they know more than God. And we're in trouble, it seems, in our culture and in our, our, our communities. It seems in our country we've got a real mess on our hands. And as believers, if we are not careful, we can come ve become very discouraged and even depressed. As we thrum through the Word of God, we are ever reminded over and over and over again how destructive this mentality, this philosophy, and this practice is to the people of God and to a nation. I mean, when people say... That good is evil and evil is good. Well, we know how destructive that can be. We see it. All we have to do is read our Bibles and we know. All we have to do is look over past cultures and civilizations and we learn and know. Israel had been granted a wonderful land in which to dwell. It was often referred to as the promised land. Why wouldn't it be a promised land? When God promised it. I mean, it is promised, so therefore it is a promised land. It's not like, wow, it's the promised land. No, it was actually Canaan land. It was just a land that was promised. It took me years to figure that out. I don't know about you, but I used to hear preachers always talk about the promised land. The promised land. I'd be like, man, they went into the promised land. I look on maps. Where's the promised land? I couldn't find the promised land. It was Canaan. But God gave them Canaan, a promised land. And they were supernaturally provided victory and they overcame the obstacles and, and, and the battles and they ultimately occupied that land and they prospered in that land and God blessed them in that land. Their faith, however, would quickly fade <clears throat> and their devotion to God would diminish to the point that they would forsake Him and turn and follow other gods. Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 10 and 11 addresses this. Take your Bible and turn there if you would, please. Jeremiah chapter 11. There in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 10, the Lord will now reveal some things to His people through a prophet. 
He goes on to say they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words. They went after other gods to serve them. I want you to be aware real quickly, and it's not really in the message, but it does, I think, bear reminding. They refused to hear his words, and then they went after gods to serve them. You know, often we look at the Word of God and we consider the things that God says and we say, well, I do, I usually do what God says. I mean, there's a couple of things I struggle with. They started, they ceased to hear God. And before it was over with, they were following other gods. I want you to realize that there is no simple rebellion. There's no, no light rebellion. There's no, it's okay to rebel in this case, but not this one. You don't have to listen to God on this one, but you have to listen to him on this one. This is bigger than that one. And so, since it's so much bigger, you ought to keep the big ones, and the little ones are kind of at your discretion. No, let me tell you that biblically and scripturally, there's always a progression in the life of a believer or even a lost man or woman. The fact is, is that we cease to hear, and then we begin to pursue someone, something else. And that's exactly what took place here, the Word of God tells us. To the point where ultimately says, The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant which I made with their fathers. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. From reading and studying history, you and I are all too familiar with the fate that those nations that forget God, ended up like. Think about the rebellion of Israel, the disobedience that they had, the Assyrian captivity, the Babylonian captivity. Rebellion and disobedience always, always, always leads to bondage. It always does. It's always the same. Someone says, you know, I can't take all these rules or these standards, these requirements in the church. Everybody expects you to live right, act right, do right, be right. Man, I can't do that. I'm human. Man, I just, I can't live like that. All that pressure on me. I think I'm just going to let it go a little bit. I'm just going to get out there and experience life. I'm just going to sow a few wild oats. What you're really saying is, I'm just going to go ahead and submit to bondage. That's really what we're saying. When we depart from God and the liberty and the freedom that He provides for us in Christ, and we step out of His umbrella of protection into the world, and we choose to follow after the things of Satan or the world, we are literally submitting ourselves back under bondage again. There's no freedom in alcohol, drugs, or immorality. That's not freedom. That is bondage. And any other sin that you can think of, it is not real freedom. I just want freedom to do as I please. Go where I want to go. Be who I want to be. Well, you're going to submit yourself to bondage. Yield yourself to bondage. As a matter of fact, again, the Bible talks about the fate of nations that forget God. In Psalm chapter 9, verse 17, we read, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. Now, I don't know about you, but if we're not careful in America, we are rapidly coming to a place where we're forgetting God. Now, again, we, we know without a doubt. Now, listen to me. We know without a doubt that you, if you know anything about the history of this United States of America, 
You know that we were founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Without a doubt. We, we, we can argue, people can argue that to the blue in the face, but all you have to do is read the writings and, and speeches of the founding fathers and even those that came after them. And you know that God was a major element in our culture. Not Allah God, but God, Jehovah God. Now listen to me, it's important to understand that as we move forward in our country, time-wise, we need to be careful that we don't let go of those things which were the real founding, foundational elements of our, our nation. And that is Him first and foremost. As we forget God, we only take one, we become one step closer to hell as a nation. Now listen, I, I know we've had the blessing of God in our life, but so did Israel. Israel had God's blessing as long as they were obedient. But may I say that America cannot, cannot demand God's blessing in their life unless they are willing as a nation to follow Him. And we are quickly, rapidly neglecting, rejecting, and forgetting God as a nation. That is alarming for you and I. But don't forget, we win. Not as a nation, but as a people of God, we win. We ought to fight for our nation. I mean, we ought to fight for the purity and the morality and just for the, the future of our children. Man, as citizens of this United States, we ought to be involved in the political process. We need to be plugged in. We need to allow God to use us to be a light in darkness here in this country we live. And we still, in my opinion, and people can argue it, whatever, I'm allowed an opinion. I believe we live in the greatest country in the world yet. But I want that country to be the kind of country it was so that my children can grow up in a place like I did. And to be allowed to worship God and serve the Lord as I did. And still do. The events, however, over the last months have left many of us numb and rightly concerned about our futures. As we contemplate health care, social security, the deficit, immigration, climate change, crime, and so many ills in our culture. Let's face it. It causes us, if we're not careful, to get a little discouraged and even possibly depressed. And probably the most concerning element, I believe, at least in my mind, and I'm sure in yours as well, is the moral decline, the deterioration of our moral, our moral fiber here in America. That's a bother to me. That concerns me greatly. More than any of those other things, the, 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 the deterioration of our moral climate bothers me. In the landmark case of Engel versus Vital, in 1962, the court ruled that New York's practice of beginning school days with a prayer drafted by school officials violated the Establishment Clause. 1962, prayer was outlawed in American schools. Then Madeline Murray's lawsuit versus Cutlet, uh, Curlet led to a landmark Supreme Court ruling ending official Bible reading in American public schools in 1963. So we lost Bible reading and we lost, uh, we, we lo I mean, lost prayer and we lost the Bible in schools in two years. Isn't that amazing? 62 and 63. Now, the recent ruling from the Supreme Court that sidestepped the Constitution and in turn ruled in favor of gay marriage has again reminded us that we are living in a, a post-Christian culture. You know, we like to think that our nation is a Christian nation, but let's be honest, we're not, we're not following very many Christian principles. It is a post-Christian culture that we live in.
We are not a majority of Bible believers. We're not a majority of people who support Christianity and support believers in Christ. As a matter of fact, it seems to me that, that there's an open attack on God these days, that the Christian faith is being sought after, that people that follow the Lord are considered to be ignorant and out of touch with reality. But let's again read our passage in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. (laughs) You know who that is, don't you? You say, that's New Jerusalem. I know, that's us. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. We win. I know it can look bleak and I know it can look dark and I realize it seems there's a cloud over the heads of believers today and that we're not sure exactly what where we'll end up we're not sure what tomorrow holds and we don't know what freedoms we'll have or won't have in the future but let me tell you something what I do know is what I do know is we win Amen. we win I'm going to give you three reasons why we win So before I do that, I just want to pray because this is going to actually go pretty fast. So you're going to have to listen quick. But let's have a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this privilege that we have to gather here today. And as we consider the three reasons why we win, Lord, may our hearts be stirred and encouraged. And may we find hope today. Lord, I know that it can be disheartening, discouraging, and even depressing at times if we allow ourselves to look to the world or to look at the circumstances, the headlines, what's taking place and the transition that's coming in our culture and our society. But Lord, we need to look to you in the end of the book because Lord, we do win. Now help us, Lord, in these next minutes to understand why it is. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So three reasons why we win. I'm sure you could come up with a number of others yourself. But first of all, why do we win? His person. His person. You say, what do you mean his person? Well, he is God. We serve God today. We serve God. He is not like uh, uh, the gods of wood or gold or the gods of iron of the past. He is not a God that does not have ears to hear or heart to feel. No, we serve a God that is real and alive. We serve a God who is seated in heavenly places. We serve a God that is real, genuine. He is Alpha. He is Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and he is the last. He is the great I am. I mean, he, the Bible tells us, is the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He is the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. He's altogether lovely. I mean, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, the only begotten of the father and the resurrection and the life. It is him who is called the way, the truth and the life. We are blessed today as a people to serve God, the God, 
the only God. He is that bread of life, the living water, the light of the world. He's the son of righteousness. He is all these things, the faithful witness, the righteous judge, a sure foundation. It was Emmanuel, God with us. We serve God today. His person. That's why we can say we win. That's why we can rest assured we win. Because of Him. God. Not only His person, but His power. Why do we win? Because of His power. I mean, you think about God and you think about what He's accomplished and what He's done. The Bible tells us in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created. I mean, this is not some impotent God. This is a God that is, is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. This God created everything that you see, touch, and feel. Everything. He created you, and He created me, and He created this world. He created the universe. He is God, and He is all-powerful. There is no one. There is nothing like Him I think of that flood years ago, and scientists can debate whether it was a worldwide flood or whether it wasn't. I don't really care, because what I do know is that He is. I know that God exists, and I know that if there's a God that created all things, He could easily flood the world that He created. And boy, I'll tell you what, He took this world that was in sin and that had truly reproached Him and His, his, his goodness and His grace. And boy, He said, ultimately, repenteth me that I even made man. And He took Noah and his, his three sons and daughter-in-laws and his wife and loaded them up into an ark and sent them a-sailing until they landed on the earth and began to replenish the earth all over again. This God that we serve is a God that is all-powerful. 185,000 Assyrians stand before, Israel, uh, stand before Judah. And there they surround the city and they are without doubt goners. But no, not with God, not with His power at their availability. No, they pray and God supernaturally takes out 185,000 Assyrians. Not one sword wielded, not one shield lifted. Simply prayer being brought before the throne of God. The walls of Jericho stood as a mighty barrier to Israel as they faced the, the giants of the land of Canaan. And yet there they were instructed to march seven times around a city, of which time they did. And after that seventh time uh, of marching six days and then finally seventh to seven days, those walls fell flat. They fell out. They did exactly what God said they would do. He is all-powerful. Oh, I know that for years people said that's an impossibility. There's no way those walls fell out. There's no way that it worked that way. It did work that way. And it wasn't just in the early 1900s that they finally uncovered the ruins of that city and found it to be exactly as God defined it and described it in the Word of God. Amen. We serve an all-powerful God. We serve a God of power. We win. We win because of His person. We win because of His power. And third, we win because of His promise. His promise. Today we hold in our hand what we call a Bible. This isn't just any other book. 
This isn't just ink on a page. This is literally God's Word. This is a supernatural book. It is a heavenly book. It is a book written by God for man. It's His Word. Not mine. Not yours. Not the critics. It's His. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. Has promised before the world began. Which God that cannot lie. You know, God can't lie. It's not that he... Someone says, well, he could. No, he can't. He can't lie. He is truth. Everything about him. He is truth. He's not just speaking truth. He's just not sharing truth. He is truth. Therefore, there's no way it was an impossibility that God could ever lie. You say, well, what if he said this and then said that? It doesn't, that wouldn't, that can't happen. He's truth. He cannot lie. If he said the sky was brown right now, he would be right and we would be wrong. He said, but I don't agree with that. You don't have to agree with it. But one day when you stand before God, you'll know he's telling you the truth. It's God's way. It's his word and he is truth. And he cannot lie. Psalm 119 verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Thy word is true from the beginning. It doesn't matter when God spoke. It doesn't matter when it was recorded. It doesn't matter how long ago it's been or how recently it's been. The fact is, is that everything in this book, everything in this book is God's word. And God's word is true. And God cannot lie. And let me tell you today, I know we win. I know we win. Why? Not because I serve in in the, the church, the community Baptist temple. Not because I serve with a great and wonderful people. Not because we live in America that I believe the greatest country on earth. No, we win because of Him. Because of His person. Because of His power. Because of His promises. That's why I know we win. And when I look around this world and I see the, the hurt and the heartache and I recognize that it seems that we are on a crash course with, with just horror in our nation... I still have to keep my eyes on Him. And I still have to keep my focus on His Word and His promises. And I've got to believe God. And I can't allow myself to be deceived by Satan into believing that He's just an ordinary guy in heaven taking care of people. No, He is God Almighty. I like that course. We're on the winning side. Don't you like that one? We should have probably sang that today, but I like the one we sang. He's able. Kind of both of them, you know, which one do you choose, right? But boy, I'll tell you what, we win. So the next time you're reading the newspaper, or the next time you get on the computer and you start to look at a blog, or the next time that you you, you watch the, the morning or evening or afternoon news, and you see things taking place in our culture, in our society, in our world, that would just seem to discourage you, that seem to cause you to be depressed, to want you to pull the cover, just tempt you to pull the covers over your head and not even get up. Just remember who your God is. Just remember how powerful He is. Just remember of His promises in this book. He said He'd never leave us nor forsake us. He said, greater is He that is in me than he that's in the world. He said we can do all things through Him which strengtheneth us. And we've got a God that can overcome all obstacles. And the Creator of the universe is on your side if you know Him as Lord and Savior, if He is your Father and you are His child, 
me tell you, you're in good hands today. On February 1942, as Japan forces became increasingly increasingly large in the Philippines, President Roosevelt ordered Douglas MacArthur to relocate to Australia. So he did. He did exactly what he was ordered to do. And on the date, 20th of March, 1942, Douglas MacArthur made headlines with his now famous speech, I shall return. Now, it was said that even the White House urged him to amend his promise. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement, they thought. Whether or not they did, I don't know, but it's said that it's possible. The White House themselves even said, maybe you ought to tone that down a little bit, General. Of course, he declined. The next month, most of the defenses in the Philistines ended up falling to the Japanese. He spent the next two years, MacArthur did, plotting and working on the New Guinea uh, campaign. Of course, it was a very difficult success. It cost a number of lives. And on July 1944 in Hawaii, MacArthur stressed to Roosevelt about America's moral obligation to the Philippines. He said, listen, we need to get back in there. Someone's got to help these people. And on the 20th of October, 1944, MacArthur arrived off the beach, on the beach of Philippines, with a speech. And it, it, it went like this. People of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil, soil consecrated in the blood of our two peoples. We have come dedicated and committed to the task of destroying every vestige of enemy, uh, enemy control over your daily lives and of restoring upon a foundation of indestructible strength the liberties of your people. An amazing start to a speech. Not something. I have returned. I thought about that. Even as General MacArthur promised to come back and liberate the people of the Philippines, I want you to know today that our captain has promised to return as well. Man, I know it looks bleak, and I know it looks dark today, and I understand that we don't know what the future of America may be, but what I do know is who the God I serve is. And what I do know is that His Word is true, and I know that His promises can be, can be you can take them to the bank. And He said over in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how bleak it gets or how grim it may seem. I've got a Lord that's coming back and He's not going to leave us here without Him. He's still in us and He's still working among us. And God is going to return for you and I today. That know Him as Lord and Savior. I don't want to see the world go in the direction it's going. I don't want to see our country continue in the vein in which it's traveling. But what I do know is this. No matter what happens. No matter what, what direction we go. I just know the direction I'm going. And it's up. Because we win. We win. Let me ask you. Do you know Christ is your Savior today?
Has there been a time and place in your life when you recognized the fact that you were a sinner? That there was no way you could please a perfect, holy God? Do you know he died for you on that cross 2,000 years ago? Shed his precious, perfect blood for you so that your sin could be washed away? He made the sacrifice. He paid the debt on your behalf. And you simply have to receive it. There is one responsibility of a, of a, of a gift that, that has to take place before the person receiving it can enjoy it. They have to do just that, receive it. The gift can be provided. It can be offered. But the truth is, until you receive it, it'll do you no good. And today, I want you to know that the God of heaven today is extending a gift. It's called eternal life. But you have to be willing to receive it. And you receive it by saying, Lord, you're right. I am a wicked sinner. And if it wasn't for me, you'd have never had to, to, to hang on that cross. I'm the reason you died. I'm the reason you suffered and bled. But Lord, I thank you for dying in my place. Oh God, Lord Jesus, forgive me, save me, and come into my life. I trust you alone to get me there. Because you're the only one that could and can. I want you to know he will. And you don't have to say it just like that. But when your heart goes out to God and you just say, Oh Lord, I have to have you. You're the only way. I can't do it without you. I'll tell you what, he'll hear your cry. He'll answer your prayers. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not might be or could be, but shall be. That means past, that means present, and shall be in the future. It's an eternal life that we receive. And it's provided by an eternal God who came to earth and became an eternal Savior, taking our place on Calvary. What a wonderful salvation it is. What a wonderful Savior. Do you know Him? Is He yours? And have you trusted Him? Because until you trust Him, you're not on the winning team. You've got to get on the winning team. And that means getting in the family of the Lord by faith in Christ Jesus, according to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. If you are on the team, You've trusted Christ. You're in the family of God. I want you to know we win. Maybe you've been a little discouraged lately. You've been a little bit bothered. I just want you to know, keep praying. Just keep staying faithful. And just keep allowing yourself to look to Him and His Word and realize He is God. And His Word is true. And you can trust His promises. He is all-powerful. Well, we serve a great God today. Father, we come to you.